Hi, this is Rabbi David Orlovsky, and welcome to the Rabbi Orlovsky Show. <laughs> In the ever-changing saga of the sign, uh, you may notice that uh, the sign actually has uh, changed. I asked the producer about this, and he explained that he felt that the sign had put on too much weight in the last show, and he forced it onto a strict diet, and as you can see now, it has shrunk to its regular size. So uh, um, I don't know what this diet was that in a week was that effective, but I think we're going to market it. So just keep watching for that in future episodes. And uh, whether you are listening on, watching on TorahAnyTime.com or YouTube or iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts, it's a pleasure to have you uh, with us. And uh, sponsorships. This week is sponsored by Beth and Mati Friedman in honor of their children, Miriam and Shia Hecht. Here's what they wrote. Who are reviving the Frum community of my hometown of East Meadow, New York. Now, this, this is a tricky luscheon. I've thought about this luscheon. I don't think they're reviving the Frum community because I don't know if there was a Frum community. Now, this is, this is such an interesting story because... Um, when the Hebrew Academy of Nassau County started, there were almost uh, no Orthodox kids coming. Uh, Ray Fendel went out to Long Island and went to West Hampstead. There was no Orthodox shul. You know, he put an ad in a local paper, nine men looking to start a minion. He later wrote a book about his experiences, and that's what he titled it. Um, and uh, the majority of the kids who were coming were not, were not coming from Orthodox homes. Yeah. We have a... Uh, and Fendel told me two stories that, uh, that made such an impact on me to understand what it was like back then. Um, uh, he said that somebody said to him, they said, Rabbi, you're making these kids wear tzitzis, you're making these kids wear yarmulkes, you're not reflecting the values of the community. Right? Fendel said, I told him, the purpose of a yeshiva is not to reflect the values of the community, it's to establish the values of the community. I thought that was unbelievable. And he says, shortly after the school started, a number of the conservative rabbis asked to be able to be part of the board. And he reached behind him and pulled out a copy of Shulchan Aruch, and he said, this is our school's constitution. If you can adhere to it, we're happy to have you on board. Yeah. So, uh, so at the time when I was, uh, my family were part of the East Meadow Jewish Center, they had the most number of busloads of children going to Hank. Uh, I remember how many, but busloads and busloads of kids going to Hank. Um, downstairs in the East Jewish Center was an Orthodox shul. What does that mean? It means Friday night they did an Orthodox davening because the main shul did it later so that people who were going to come later came to a later service, but the actual davening that was done at, uh, you know, Minchamayev time on, on Friday night, that was run as an Orthodox minion. Uh, I remember going there. And, uh, and there were a lot of people who were Shomer Shabbos and a lot of kids who were going to hang. A lot of people who've come out of East Meadow who today are Tamadei Chachamim Rabbonim, I know them. But you can't really revive the Orthodox community, the Frum community. Because although they were Frum people, there was never per se a Frum community. Um, you're starting the Frum community of East Meadow. I just, I want to, I want to put that into context. I'll just do that last thing again. Yeah. You're starting the from community of East Meadow. Just want to 
put that into context. Uh, it was one of the most densely populated Jewish neighborhoods in Long Island, and uh, there were a whole bunch of different synagogues. None of them were Orthodox when I was there. Um, and so this is a tremendous thing, a tremendous, tremendous thing. And we're, we're honored to be able to have those sponsorships. And those sponsorships go a long way. Um, I got some emails, people commenting on how they felt that the lighting of the video was much better. What was strange is I also got two emails from people who only listened to the show on a podcast, and they thought the lighting was better, so go figure. But uh, that's because that lighting has been purchased with your sponsorships. So just look at how it's going. It's unbelievable. This is becoming an institution. This is already episode 18, and uh, it's coming out Parshish Truma. And um, what do we want to talk about? What are you going to talk about Parshish Truma? Parshish Truma is a very, very special parsha because for many people, it's Mama Shasim. There are a lot of people who stop doing Shnai Mikra Ve'echa Targum this week. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, that's it. They're done. <laughs> There is something about the Mishkan that pushes people over the edge. Yeah, I know. I was one of them. It's, uh, it's dramatic. It's a dramatic uh, thing to watch. Um, so people got through Beratius. They got through Shmos. Then they hit the whole Korban Pesach and all the Korbono stuff and Bo. Okay, you know, muddled through that. Then you hit Beshalach. You have all those gigantic Rashis on Oz uh, Yashir, those diktuk rashis where only girls come to life and guys just walk away in a confused haze, you know, where it's, where it's like hifal and hufal and nufal and kufal, and we have no idea what this stuff means, and the yud turns into a vav on alternate Tuesdays if there was a pay in the neighborhood. I don't know. It's just absolutely impossible for us. Then you hit mishpatim, where we, Rashi basically sums up all of Baba Kama, Baba Metziah, Baba Basra, Sanhedrin, Makos, and a few other sundry mesechtas, yeah, throughout all the Rashis. And if you somehow pulled yourself through that, waiting for you on the other side is Parshish Truma, the Mishkan. Bum, ba-dum, bum, bum. And you know, if you make it through Truma, then you have Tetzava, then you have the first half of Kisisa, and the Vyakov It's Mishkan as long as you can see. And when you finally finish with the Mishkan, you come to Vayikra, all of the Korbonois, Tuma, and Tara, all those exciting things. So most people come back in around Parshas Bamidbar when, um, uh, you know, we start counting everybody and there's very few Rashis, it's pretty easy to get through it. That's it. But, I, but now people are just stunned. When you have a half a page of Rashi explaining how they made the two little prongs sticking out of the bottom of the Keresh, you know you're losing people. That's just the reality, yeah? So um, there are picture books, there are models. I don't know why people... Just have this mental block when it comes to it, yeah. And uh, I'm not, I'm not going to do it now. I, I when I used to teach parsha, I would do my um, my walk through the Mishkan. I would just explain to you the Mishkan in five minutes. And I had people who said to me, "I've studied this for years. I've looked at it. I never had it as clear as you put it." But I got to leave something for next year, yeah. Well, maybe Viyaka Pakuli. We'll see. But uh, but the the idea of the the Mishkan is such. An involved and complicated thing. Now, I've I've made this point before, and I make it whenever I speak because I think it's it's completely essential 
And I do have, as I mentioned, a trip coming up at the end of February. I still have some dates available. But I do make this point yeah, very often. And I point out that I travel the world. I travel the world. Uh, for the most part, English-speaking countries. Yeah? The United States, Canada, England, they speak a version, uh, South Africa, Australia. Yeah, you saw my Aussie friends here. Um, and uh, maybe we'll, you know, I, I said I was going to include some of the, um, some of my uh, other birthday wishes from Rabbi Pesach Kron. And I'm saying this uh, just so you can realize that I hang out with very important people. Hello, Rab David, and your wonderful family, Mazel Tov, Mazel Tov, on this great birthday, the 60th birthday. I consider you one of the treasures of Klal Yisrael, and I'm really so honored to consider you a good friend. So, Rab David, I just want to tell you something very interesting. You know, if you ever have to speak at a Sheva Brochus or at a birthday and make a video, this is a wonderful safer. You see this Gamat Grikon? Because it tells you every single number what kind of gematrius there are. So I was looking for 60, and the word goin, like a genius, is gematrius 60, and you are really a goin in speaking. And that's why I'm here, right behind, or in front of this picture of Rav Shalom who was the original goin in our generation of speaking, and you are just like him. You're able to make people laugh, you're able to make people think, and bring across a great lesson. He was the master. And today, all the speakers, they're all trying to be like you, Rab David, who is able to connect to an audience in a tremendous way. But there's another thing that I love. Over here, it says that the word Yedidi Hatoiv is also Bagamatria 60. And that's what I consider you, my good friend. You're always so wonderful to my family. We've been to your home many times, even Arab Shabbos. Your wife got us watermelon and potato kugel at a moment's notice, and we'll never forget that and the times you've been in my home. But the one that I like the best, and maybe you could figure it out better than me, Chad Gadya, Chad Gadya, right? All those four words is totally equal 60. What's that got to do with your birthday? Well, you'll always be a kid, and one kid, one kid, Chad Gadya. You'll always be a kid at heart, David, and that's why everybody loves you. Happy birthday, you're only halfway there. You still got another 60 years. Keep on going and be a role model for all of us. I love you and Mazel Tov. Okay, so um, uh, the, uh, the idea is of the, of the Mishkan, right? I travel all around, and I always say the biggest problem in Jewish education today is that people feel like it's not relevant to their lives. They say this all the time. I don't feel like this is relevant to my life. Yeah? And that's the struggle in Yahadus is to make it relevant. <clears throat> I always point out the Gemara and Ksuvis is discussing a Takonis Ezra that doesn't apply anymore today. And it says, if it doesn't apply, says the Gemara, who cares? Mada hava hava. We're not studying history here. Don't share with me uh, insights from, you know, uh, 2,000 years ago, what they used to do. If you're telling me something and I'm learning it today, it's because it has to have relevance to my life. And if it doesn't, then there's something missing in my understanding. When I used to teach, uh, I gave a course in Vayikra. So people said, oh, you know, very often when people learn Vayikra, you know, it means uh, they're going to do Kedoshim Tihiyu, Rahavta Rechakamach. I said, no. First semester, we're going to deal with Kodshim. Second semester, we're going to deal with Tum and Taira. It's part of Judaism, and you have to know it. 
There's a reason that God put in the Torah, that all these parashiyos are there. Not just that we can study it to get insights into a temporary home that was built for HaKadosh Baruch Hu for a short period of time. Or as one of my students in Or Sameach once said to me, it's not even a house, it's a trailer. What was God, white trash? We built him a trailer? <laughs> that's, a, that's an inappropriate way of saying it. I would never say it that way, but I share it with you because I'm sure he's expressing something that most people must have thought. And so much time goes in to describing the construction of this. Now, there are many things we don't mind sticking into Mishnayis and Brises. So why don't we just say, and they built the Mishkan, and then have, like there is, a collection of Brises called Malachas HaMishkan, and just put in all the details of the Mishkan into there, and uh, Shalom Yisrael. I have to sit and spell out all of the details in all of these places right here in the Psukim, so that I have to know how they made the covering, and they made ten pieces, and they sewed five and five, and then they hooked them together with loops. Why is that essential? Why do I need to know this? Something like, I don't know, let's say Shabbos, comes every single week. Torah doesn't tell me anything. And keep the Shabbos, keep the Shabbos. Shema Tamez Yom Shabbos. Yeah, observe the Shabbos, keep the Shabbos. And there are people who don't believe in an oral law. So I said, so when Moshe came down and said, keep the Shabbos, what did he mean? What did he mean? Did he have an explanation on the spot? What does this mean, Moshe? Whatever you think. Yeah, but it says if I get it wrong, you're going to kill me. That's right. Easy guessing. <laughs> Good luck. When the Makoshesh hates him, when they collected him, he didn't see anywhere. I, I didn't think gathering sticks was a malacha. I didn't think that's what you meant. No, he, he took it as bullshit. That this means Shabbos. They knew what Shabbos was. So that means that they, Moshe Rabbeinu came down with all of the malachas, all the toides, everything that went into it. And uh, the Torah did not see fit to write that down? That we stick into a Mishnah and Shabbos? And all the details of the Mishkan. In Truman Tzav. And we repeat them again of Yaakov Bekudeh. Yeah. All of this is so essential for us that we have to read it every single year. And those of you who do, right? So, um, so I want to say it like this. And it's not me. Everybody says this. this is, I'm not sharing with you a chiddish. Yeah. Um, years ago, I, uh, I was asked to speak in a seminar on the topic of platonic relationships. It was the first one of my recordings to go platinum. It was all over the place. I was teaching in a boys' yeshiva. The next morning I came in, they had already heard the tape. You know? By the end of the week, it was another yeshiva in seminary in Yerushalayim, and then it started going around the world. It was an amazing thing. Yeah? And there's a big tamachacham, a Rosh Yeshiva, who also works in Kirov. And he says to me, I've been saying this stuff for years. He just says it better. <laughs> that is my goal. I don't mean to say any chidushim. I just want to say what, uh, what everyone knows, but I hope, I hope I'll say it in a way that'll make it a little easier. Kodesh Baruch Hu rested on Shabbos. How exhausted could he have been? He said 10 mamoros. Vayihi or, whew, Wow, that was a toughie. <laughs> he spoke. He spoke 10 times. He said 10 expressions. That was it. And, of course, he's infinite. 
So it came Friday night, that was it. He just passed out, you know, made himself a, made himself a coffee, put his feet up and said, wow, that was, that was a week that I had. Did you take a look? <laughs> of course, he doesn't mean that he rested. It means he stopped. Yeah? He stopped, he rested. He ceased. From what? From creating the world. So what do we have to do on Shabbos? We have to cease creating the world. Now, for most of us, that's pretty easy. I don't know about you, but I can go weeks without making as much as an asteroid. You know what I mean? So how tired am I going to be that I have to rest from creating the world? I don't create the world anyway. So the answer is, because of that, HaKadosh Baruch Hu has to give us a world to, cre- to, to create. We have our own world. That was the Mishkan. And everything that went into the creation of the Mishkan reflected what HaKadosh Baruch Hu put into the creation of the world. And that's why we learn out what you can't do on Shabbos. HaKadosh Baruch Hu didn't just give a list of things you can't do on Shabbos. He says, anything that goes into creating your world is what you have to stop doing on Shabbos, just like I stopped creating my world on Shabbos. That's the, that's the connection. In fact, Rabbi Shapiro once said, Adam Arishan was created into a world that was perfect. Then he ate from the Yetzirah, and he destroyed the world. When we got to Har Sinai, we reached the level of Adam Kodam the world was once again in perfection. And then we ate, excuse me, then we did the Chet Egel, and then it was destroyed again. So now we have to build a world without any Chet. And that was the Mishkan. We built a world that existed with a new world. That's why we go into that world to get a Kapar. Because in that world there is no Chet. That world is perfect, and that's the world that we built. The big world was created on Tishrei. The small world was created on Nisan. That's the old Nisan-Tishrei, when was the world created? There were two parts to it. But our world was created on Nisan. That was the, that was the power that went into it. So, says the Chsam Soifer, excuse me, says the Svas Emes, um, Talks about the malachas of Shabbos. Aboyim chosa achas. 40 minus 1, which is a fancy way of saying 39. Why didn't you just say 39? So he says, it's a Kabbalistic concept called abia. There's four levels of existence there's atzilis, there's bria, there's yitzira, and asiya. Bria we're familiar with, breishiz, bura, elokim. But the aleph before the bays of creation, that's atzilis. And then there's Yitzira, then there's Asiya. We find these terms being used. Yeah. And each one of them have 10 spheres. Keser, Chachma, Bina, and then the lower seven, Chachma, excuse me, Chesed, Gvur, Teferis, Neitzar, Chod, Yusor, Malchus. So that's 10 times four, 4 is 40. One of those actions that went into the creation of the world we have no shaykhs to, it's called Yesh Ma'ayin, creating something from nothing. That we can't do. So the 40 malachas that went in the creation of the world, that's what we can't do on Shabbos, chosachers. The yesh that's the one thing we can't do. But 
there is something that a Kodesh Baruch Hu put into the maximum universe that is represented by us doing ksira, right? Uh, harvesting. And there's something that went into the creation of the world that we do by um, making a fire. And each one of these malachis that we use in the creation of the Mishkan is what a Kodesh Baruch Hu used in creating the world. I don't know how it works exactly. I can't line that all up. I mean, uh, I can't really reveal all my Kabbalistic secrets uh, to the general public. I have to be on a particular level. Anyway, but uh, whichever one works for you. But, uh, but that's the idea. The idea is that if you take a look in the Malbim uh, on the Alatayra, you'll see he has a section called Ramoseha Mishkan. And he explains how everything in the Mishkan corresponds to the body of a human being. The Kroshim are the ribcage, and uh, the uh, Aron is the skull, and the Luchos and the broken Luchos are the conscious and subconscious mind. Everything that's in the world is in a person, because the person is an Olam Katan. And the Mishkan was a maximum version of a human being, and the minimum version, microcosm and maxocosm, of, a, of the universe and a human being where they meet together. It allows a person to be able to access that tremendous power. That's the, uh, that's the idea of what we're able to, to access when we learn about the Mishkan. And of course, this takes study. This takes time. None of this happens automatically. So when we come to these parashios and we're reading about the Mishkan, we see how we're able to access these ideas inside of ourselves and inside of it. Now, we don't build the Mishkan on Shabbos. We rest from it, just like Hashem did. So the idea is that Shabbos is a Mishkan in time. Because there's different existences that we live in this world. We live in place, and we live in time, time and place. What uh, science refers to as the time-space continuum, yeah? where things exist within boundaries, physical boundaries and time boundaries. When you're in Shabbos, you are in that Mishkan in space. You don't need to be in the Mishkan in place. An amazing, amazing concept of what we're able to accomplish on a Shabbos. People have asked me this question many years. How do we make our Shabbos more meaningful? And especially for our kids. Well, very often people will ask me about their Shabbos table. Yeah? How do, how do you make your Shabbos table enjoyable? Somebody asked me once, and I've had small children. How do you make your children sit at the Shabbos table? I said, I don't. If you have to make your kids sit at the Shabbos table, there's something wrong because you should want to be at the Shabbos table. And if you don't want to be at the Shabbos table, you might have to change what kind of a Shabbos table you have, which unfortunately we know. Uh, um, there are some times when it's not a happy place to be. If people are upset or people are angry, but it's more than that. It's more than that. You have to look at who is there. You know? Um, I have a very difficult job because I'm a speaker. If you're a plumber, you have an easier job, right? People pay you, they say fix the toilet, right? You fix the toilet. 
So I say, I don't think you fixed the toilet well. Well, let's bring in another plumber. Let's check. Does it flush? Does it work? Everything's great. Things work. Great. We can see if it's true. But if you're a speaker and people don't like what you're saying, and afterwards they say, I didn't like the speech, and you say, no, 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 I gave a great speech. It's your fault that you didn't appreciate it. You're not going to stay in this business very long. It's completely totally on the people. People have to decide that you're interesting to listen to. And uh, that's all siyata deshmaya. Yeah? There are certain people who do everything right. They prepare well. You know, they stand up straight. <laughs> they, they, uh, they have a uh, deep resonant voice. You know, they have, everything's great. People don't want to listen to them. It's mazel. It's mazel. Yeah. My father, over Shalom, it was just his yard site. So my father, he, um, he used to remind me all the time that I'm a low yutzlach. And he used to tell me, you will never succeed in life unless I take care of you. But I won't be around forever. So um, uh, what I'm going to do is try to find a system to win at playing dice. And I'm going to give you the system. The other boys, they'll get my Yerusha, they'll get my, the business. But you, you'll get my dice system. So this way, whenever you need, you can go down to Atlantic City and make some money. <laughs> now, as luck would have it, he never figured out this system. Never figured it out. That was supposed to be my final gift. Um, and so uh, people say to me, they say, well, you know, you're, you're very easy to listen. People enjoy listening to you. So I said, that's because I have a father up in heaven. And he said to me, you're a low yutzlach, and nobody, you're never going to make it in life unless I take care of you. So I'm going to make you interesting for people to want to listen to you. That's just a gift. That's mamash, a gift from a Kaddish Baruch Hu. This, Like I say, it doesn't mean that you're any more talented than anybody else. It just means that a Kaddish Baruch Hu, uh, some guys from Yeshiva Chavetz Chaim were going out to collect for the yeshiva. And they asked from Hanach for a bracha that they should be matzliach. He says, I can't give you a bracha that you should be matzliach because everybody has bechira. I can't give you a bracha to take away somebody's bechira that they should give you money. But I could give you a bracha of chen. People should like you. People should enjoy talking to you because that's who very often we give money to. We don't give money to a cause. We give money to a person. Yeah. And, uh, and hopefully this will uh, be matzliach in that way. But, uh, but it means that when you get up to speak, you have to know who you're speaking to. So I once, when I was a Long Island director of NCSY, I prepared this uh, um, very elaborate educational program for the Shabbos, and I realized the kids who came knew nothing. But mamish, nothing. And I was smart enough to figure out to ditch the entire program. And I switched it instead to talking about anti-Semitism, uh, intermarriage, things that I thought might have relevance to these kids. But you have to understand that the goal is to teach, is to speak to the people who are there, not to the people who you'd like to be there. Do you ever go to a Sheva Brachos where a fellow gets up to speak, there's a Shiva sitting there, and he turns to the Rosh Hashiva and he speaks to the Rosh Hashiva the whole time, says a whole pilpul, nobody's listening, nobody cares. At the end, he wishes Mazel Tov, the Chas and Kala sits down. He just wanted to show the Rosh Shiva how smart he was, you know, and how impressive he was. 
that doesn't make you a speaker. Speaking does not make you a speaker. <laughs> Even though people who speak are a speaker, but not everybody who lies is a liar. You know, <laughs> you have to work at it. So too, you want to be a speaker, you can't just speak. You have to speak to the people who are there. Or somebody once said to me, Darshanim don't understand the Pasik. This is Rabbi Lemel, who was in Hebrew Academy of Long Beach for many years. He said to me once, they don't understand the Pasik. They have to read it as a naim vahem velo yir u aznaim. They have eyes, but they don't see the ears. Yeah? You have to see who's listening. Yeah? And that's, uh, that's a, a tremendous thing. So people sit down at the Shabbos table, and they prepare whatever they prepared. They're going to say, Devar Torah, they're going to this. But is that what the people want to hear? So sometimes kids are at an age where instead of preparing um, uh, Divrei Torah, maybe you should prepare jokes, stories. Um, riddles. And in case you think that that's not Bukovadik, um, I spoke in Steen Court, a synagogue in Manchester, Reverend Brody. And he got up to speak, and I saw he had in front of him a bunch of jokes he downloaded from the internet, and he just started by telling a whole bunch of jokes, you know? And when I finally got up to speak, he says, you should really yell at this congregation because the agnostics in the room are terrible. <laughs> so, hey, if that's what the people need, that's what the people need. You know, or you give those kind of uh, puzzles and things. A guy pushes his car up to a hotel and tells the person in charge, I'm bankrupt. Now you have to figure out what happened. Yeah. Uh, things like this. So they uh, ask questions. So, is that the ideal Shabbos? No, it's not the ideal Shabbos. But it's, uh, it's uh, something that the people who are sitting there want to be in. You know, maybe you have to sing songs to their little children. Like, I don't mean like, you know, Zmiris. I mean, sing songs, you know. The, give out candies, you know, play games. Do, do whatever you have to do so that people think, wow, this, I want to be at this Shabbos table. When my kids got older, you know, they were more like teenagers, I would ask a question. I'll ask a question. Based on something in the parasha. Do you think you should live in a religious neighborhood and protect your kids from the outside forces, or should you let them be exposed to things and see how they handle it? So uh, everybody gave their opinion. And whenever I would tell the story over, people would say, and what did you tell them in the end? I said, I didn't. That's the whole point. Kids are always being told teachers will sometimes run a class and they'll ask everybody their opinion and then say, okay, here's the correct answer. So why'd you ask me? I once heard somebody giving a, uh, uh, a, a, a shear, you know, and everybody else was doing a discussion and he wasn't. So he says, I don't have to hear what they don't know. I know what they don't know. I'm here to tell them the correct answer. <laughs> I don't have to hear them. But you know, there's something glorious about people just being able to give their opinions. People love to speak. Jackie Mason was doing a show, and he says, we have to have an intermission now because Jews can't sit this long without giving their opinion. What do you think of this guy? I never liked him. He's a loudmouth. <laughs> How much do you think he makes on a show like this? <laughs> How old is he? One second. How old was he when he was on Ed Sullivan? How old is he? Because you know? everybody has to give their opinion. This is your opinion. <laughs> People love to give their opinion. The point is that when we walk into Shabbos, Shabbos is this unbelievable time when we have the ability to tap into the energies of the creation of the universe. And in order to do that, we have to take time to think about it. Yeah? 
There has to be preparations. We're all dressed in our best. Zmiro sung with zest. And everyone is blessed. I don't know if you chopped what that song was all about. Everybody is blessed for the Shabbos angels. That's the Gemara in Shabbos that says, if the malachim come into the house and find the food is cooked, the tables are set, the house is clean, they give you a good bracha. And if not, they give you a chas v'shalom ha'klala. It's the preparation that brings the bracha. So when we walk into Shabbos, we have to say, how am I going to make this Shabbos meaningful? And if we do, then we're able to, Mir Hashem, tap into the power of the entire universe. That's it for this week. We want to thank our sponsors again, Beth and Mati Friedman, in honor of their children, Miriam and Shaya Hecht. And if you uh, want to find more about the show, please go to rabbielowski.com slash podcast. If you want to find out about this particular episode or make a comment, it's rabbielowski.com slash podcast slash 18. If you want to find out about upcoming events, rabbielowski.com slash events. If you would like to contact Rabbielowski, it's rabbielowski.com slash contact. And if you would like to sponsor an event, um, we're, we're sponsored for another month, so you'll have to get in line, I'm afraid. Yeah. Um slash podcast and go to the sponsor an episode button. That's it. Thank you for watching. Thank you for listening. I'm Rabbi Olavsky. This has been the Rabbi Olavsky Show. Thank you.